Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. In this segment, we're going to be covering night two of the Spring Shields Virtual Hunt Series, featuring the one and only Michael Waddell. He's going to give some great information on fall preparation, spring hunting, and land management. If you want to hear more from Michael Waddell, we also had him in a previous podcast where we were talking deer hunting rut tactics. That was a great session, so make sure to go back and check that one out if you haven't listened already. But here is our coverage of night two of the Spring Virtual Hunt Series with Michael Waddell. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the second night of our turkey series this week. Apologize for the delay. We had some technical difficulties up here in North Dakota. I'm joking around with Waddell about it when we just got running water last week. So it is kind of a big deal that we do have internet tonight. So welcome, everybody. Uh, very excited we got Waddell here, living legend. Uh, the guy is, I can't wait to get him on. Um, hear some stories, hopefully. Hopefully the audience will ask some stories. If not, I'm going to ask some handful of funny stories for, him, for us to share. But uh, we got a great prize package tonight. It's up, valued up to $2,000 from uh, Element Outdoors as well as Hoyt. So it's a very big night. Appreciate that. Appreciate everybody joining in here. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to go ahead. And we got Bone Collector, too, that's going to throw in some prize packages, which... Again, we appreciate that. Appreciate the partnerships from everybody. Um, you know, we got Mr. Michael Waddell. He's just not only the turkey guy. He's not only the hashtag, can't stop the flop. Um, the, the whole, I mean, well, a couple of years ago, I think it was, where he had the uh, necklace of beards running for president. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I'll never forget that. So without further ado, Mr. Michael Waddell, if you would, just kind of give us a little bit of background. What got you into turkey hunting? What got you into the sport? Kind of how the bone collector kind of family all came together and just a little 411 on you. Oh, man. Yeah, I'd be glad to. First of all, thank y'all for having me on. And uh, hello, everybody out there that's getting ready to go chase some turkeys. I know it's a, it's a cool time of year, man. It's even starting to warm up by North Dakota standards, even. <laughs> and first of all, I'd like to say, Brad, I'm just glad it was you guys up north that had the technical difficulties because we always get picked on down here in the south. I mean, we're just glad to have electricity here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, but no, it's, it's so good to be talking turkey and really just sharing this kind of virtual campfire with everybody. And I don't know, man, Brad, as tur far as turkey, I mean, I always loved to hunt everything. I mean, you know, I grew up in a very rural area here in the south and I mean, hunting and really fishing was something I just assumed everybody did. I found out later that everybody didn't even really participate. And a lot of people didn't even know that it existed. They just thought, you know, food was something or meat that you bought at the grocery store that you couldn't hunt it, that you actually had a renewable resource out there that you could you could hunt. And I, I have just been so blessed to grow up in a family around fathers and uncles and granddads that kind of showed me the way of the woods and that kind of stuff but i would say out of all the things i had a chance to hunt that started with kind of squirrel rabbit and small game that led to kind of deer and some of the bigger game which in georgia all we had was you know the small game and, mm -hmm. and really deer and turkey was our only big game you know animals that we had um outside of maybe some bear up in north georgia but um i just quickly fell in love with turkey hunting because for one um about the time I really got engrossed in deer hunting, 
that's when our numbers started to fall as far as the bigger bucks and a lot of deer were getting shot. And so therefore there wasn't a lot of big trophy bucks running around out there in Georgia. And so I kind of had gotten tired of the, the little small six point and throwing them in the cardboard box and, and that kind of <laughs> thing. And so even though I still love the deer hunt, I kind of was like, man, I'm starting to realize that it's hard to get a big buck in Georgia, mainly because there's just not a lot where I'm living. Mm-hmm. And then I was introduced to turkey thing. And I immediately realized that a two-year-old long beard turkey is like a trophy, you know, and it's just so hard. It was so aggravating. You had to learn the social dialect of these turkeys. You had to understand the way they work. You got a chance to hunt them in the morning. You could hunt them before school because sometimes you might get lucky and get one 30 minutes after fly down. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I just fell in love with it. And I just become enthralled with trying to research and what are now my turkey heroes, the people like Dick Kirby, mm-hmm. uh, Walter Parrots, Paul Butskis, you know, Joe Drake's Harold and Harold, uh, you know, Knight and David Hale from Knight and Hale. And so I just, they just become people I looked up to. And back then you only had VHS tapes. And so I would just take all I could in and try to figure out a better way to become better at turkey calling. I met people like Dale Rom of Rom Brothers Game Calls, who was up in Pennsylvania and Matt Moret become a buddy of mine. And I started competing in turkey calling contests. And I just, I'd always loved music. And so I just really, really dug into the turkey side of things and calling. And then real quick into it, I started competing and doing pretty well and won a couple big contests. And that led me to meet the people at Realtree. And I got a chance to start guiding with them. I got on their pro staff. And then literally like snappy fingers, I was 16, 17 years of age. And here I am now, you know, uh, 47 and I've had a chance to make a living in the hunting industry, promoting the outdoors and something mm-hmm. that I just have been in love with. So that's kind of my quick story, you know, kind of my two minute story. And, yep. um, and here I am talking, you know, with you guys here at Shields, which I love your guys' stores and uh, a lot of our partners, I actually, you know, have product in there and every bit of the family that I've met up there and the people in corporate to, to the chains have just been, I don't know, you, you, you know, I'm from the South. Y'all, a lot of the, the shield stores are up North in the Midwest and you just feel like kinfolk and like family reunions type stuff. So that, I think yep. that's what's, you know, that's a whole nother story, but that's what excites me about these type things. And that's what excites me about hunting people is it's, it's so mm-hmm. easy to become friends and you become family real quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Well, thank you. So, and you've already actually been in the woods, right? I mean, you've been, yeah, we around. have, we, we've been lucky. So I, I got to go early March, like the first week in March, I went down to uh, Florida and we hunted Osceola turkeys and it was so cool, man. The weather was like 85, 88 degrees. They're getting all that fresh produce off the vines, fresh tomatoes, fresh oranges, and literally like the turkeys were gobbling. So we killed like seven turkeys in two days. It was insane. I had some partners, some people from our uh, television show come down, some friends that had never been Osceola hunting and um and it was just an amazing trip and then our season come in in Georgia the following week and then Alabama is here so we've been hunting I would say the last month we've been hunting turkeys pretty hard and I know it's funny if you listen to me especially you know you're up in the northern country you're like what a jerk man you've been chasing <laughs> turkeys so so I would be jealous too so it's been it's been pretty awesome however it's been pretty tough Brad the turkeys have been um, there are turkeys around, but the weather's been kind of odd. We had a beautiful weather early March, but the last few days it's been really rainy, windy, and, and cool. Not cold by y'all standards, but 
you know, it, like tonight is getting down into like 34, 35, which mm-hmm. that'll make all everybody laugh. But, you know, that stuff like that and it's raining. So that'll kind of shut the turkeys down. But when the sun gets back out, so it, it's been good to be out there, but we haven't seen the best turkey hunting yet in the South. Yep. Perfect. Well, we've got a literally pile of questions coming in already, Mike. So awesome. Uh, what's your favorite place to hunt outside your home state? Do not outside say Nebraska. Outside of my home state, um, I, I'd be honest with you, I, w- I would probably say, golly, that's so hard. I knew these kind of questions come in because I love to hunt turkeys. I like to hunt hard turkeys. Um, and you and I, Brad, just when we was going through the getting everything sorted out technically, uh, you know, you guys are there in, in, in North Dakota, South Dakota, and obviously um, y'all do a lot of hunting for Merriam's. I love to hunt eastern turkeys in the south. That's my favorite place, like at Georgia and Alabama, because they are complete jerks. And, and, and some of the viewers listening, please give a comment to that if you've hunted in the south. The turkeys just have a mystique about them. They live in these swamps and these hardwood ridges and, and these sweet gum trees and thick pine forest. And they just come with it like a Ph.D. of mastery of, of just knowing how to whoop our butt. I'm convinced that they probably go to the rental center and rent a butt kicking machine about this time of year <laughs> and, and they pull it out. And I don't know if they ever return it, but they use it all spring long. And all these turkeys down here seem to judge the great American yelp off before you can get them in range. And so even though that's aggravating, I enjoyed the challenge of these Southern turkeys, but I really love to get out West like in May. And I guess after being, up to the challenge to hunt these southern turkeys most of the march and april it's really nice sometimes mid to late april even into may to get out in nebraska and to work in those prairies and those Mm -hmm. plains and you know whether it be the black hills out in wyoming or or, you know the edges of nebraska out there and, and call turkeys that you can actually seem to work a turkey very traditional in turkey 101 which i i enjoy that so Mm -hmm. so um Anyway, that's a long answer to say, and probably um, I would say Alabama, Georgia is definitely my favorite place to hunt, but sometimes it's nice to get even with them out in Nebraska or South Dakota when it comes to hunting Merriam's. I cannot disagree on that. All right, so uh, thoughts on the turkey fanning trend. And so I, I'd imagine, you know, more of the, the strutter type decoys, yeah. the reaping decoys. What's your thoughts on that? I know that's a loaded question. I understand. I mean, no, no. And I love it. And, and, and I definitely was going to encourage anybody watching in and however you're viewing or listening to this, please answer the hard, ask the hard questions because I, I like, I love controversy. I love to talk openly to, you know, my brothers and sisters out there that's chasing turkeys, deer, elk or whatever. So here's my take on, 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 on the fanning. I'm, I'm all for it other than the fact be safe. And, mm-hmm. and, and I would say, I feel like, uh, you know, I was one of the guys that was first using that, at least publicly on video, to manipulate turkeys. So the way I look at anything like that, Dan, or whoever might have asked that question is, I leave morals and ethics up to each and individual hunter. I feel like in this world we live in now, especially in cancel culture, I'm not going to judge anyway by the way they hunt. I believe you should go to each state, read your game and fish laws, and you have to abide by that. You have to respect your DNR. So outside of that, if you're a very good hunter, your job as a hunter is to hunt like you're hungry and hunt like these turkeys are ISIS trying to manipulate your family. That's the way I look at it. I ain't saying everybody's got to do that, but that's the way I do. So the moral 
ethical part of how you do it mm -hmm. for me is up to the hunter. So I'm not going to sit here and tell somebody, well, that ain't hunting. You're showing them a fan and it's this way. It's that way. And if you can't sit down and yelp in a turkey, then you're a sissy and you might as well go to quilt and quilts and Afghan and freaking, you know, whatever and start <laughs> knitting like your grandmama did. No, I, that's BS. We got enough of that in the hunting industry. I know it's a deadly trick in the way I look at things, any trick, that can manipulate a turkey to get him in range of my kid, myself, or a hunter I'm guiding, or a businessman that has never been hunted, hunting, and I want to show him a good time, I'm going to pull out all stops. Mm -hmm. I only won the world championship of turkey calling because I didn't care if I won a world championship. I wanted to be the best turkey callers because I wanted to trick long spur turkeys. So my point is, fanning and reaping or whatever you might want to do it, I think that's just one more tool that's been proven that it can be used. The only setback, you have to be extremely careful because you are holding a decoy. You are doing a puppet show. You're crawling behind mm -hmm. it. But what you find with turkeys, the miss, the biggest misunderstood things, turkeys are not as smart as we think. They're very sexually frustrated. They're looking for a grasshopper or something to eat and something to breed with a size of a brain less than my hand. Mm -hmm. They're not human. They're just a wild animal that's very selfish that will breed any turkey that's willing to breed with them in, in, in the opposite sex. And so when it gets down to that, all we have to do is figure out a way to manipulate that dominance and that sexual excitement that they have that mm -hmm. time of year and take advantage of that. And good hunters should be allowed to do whatever they want if the game laws will allow them. If the game law bans it, you got to ban it immediately. And so that's the way it is. Prime example is, in Can I think it's Kansas. I know in Texas, you can legally have a corn feeder. You can sit under that corn feeder and legally kill a turkey. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if that's legal and you want to take your kid, your wife that you never could get out into the hunting camp, I'm not going to judge anybody. Mm -hmm. Is it something I find fun? No, it, I really don't. But what I find fun, what somebody else finds fun, it's two different things. I don't play golf. I don't think it's fun because I suck at it. What am I going to do? Start hating on people who play golf? So, again, when you open up stuff like that, you know, I just try to spit the truth and tell how like I see it. My job is to get people turkey hunting, and if I can find a way that makes it easier, whether it be by showing a puppet or reaping a turkey, crawling behind a turkey, understanding the better dialect of a turkey language or a call that might mm -hmm. help manipulate that sexual frustration of a long beard turkey, then that's feel like my job is to do that not to say that only i can do it or mm -hmm. you're a sissy if you do it this way i want people to be successful and do it again and yep. go buy some product that's what i want them to do amen to that all right so uh we kind of even talked about this before the uh the call difficulties or the internet issues but best times of weather that you like to hunt in and then is there a certain time of the year and this is you know we talked we did a podcast with mike anderson i think you've done with them too but i kind of talked about like the turkey rut you know, and every state's yeah. got is kind of a pseudo turkey rut when it's just prime. Uh, I mean, for you, do you kind of have your travel schedule that kind of follows that turkey rut through the United States? Or are you kind of, this is my schedule and it is what it is where I show up? Well, yeah, I just kind of, you know, as I show up, I don't really, you know, you know, deer is a little different. Sometimes I will look at a moon chart a little bit. I definitely believe the moon dictates a lot of stuff, whether it's fishing or hunting. But when it comes to turkey, um, I don't. I pretty much go based on my schedule and my mm -hmm. personal schedule. You know, I've got a wife and five kids, so obviously there's a lot of baseball games, a lot of 
responsibility. You know, this weekend we're coming up on Easter. So obviously, I, I, you know, no matter what's happening, I'm going to be with my family. And, and Sunday we're going to celebrate, you know, our Savior and eat us some fried chicken and overeat. My five-year-old or my four-year-old may run around looking for the prize egg, you know, that Easter Bunny left. So, <laughs> so when I when it comes to turkey hunting, I, I just um, – I just like to, to go anytime I get the opportunity. Now, in, in that, with the question, I do think the best time for turkey activity as far as good gobbling is on those typical days that you got solid high pressure, a cool, crisp morning, mm-hmm. something that you feel that Christmas in the air. And, of course, I know if you live up north, you you know, y'all feel way too many of those cold, crisp mornings. Oh, yeah. But I don't like uh, pressure when it's, when it's on the low, when the barometric pressure is kind of seem to be on the on lowering. I don't think the gob, turkeys typically gobble as much. Mm-hmm. And I think by rule, those mornings that we get up and the sun's shining and it feels good and the birds are singing, it feels like the flowers are blooming. I think that's typical by rule, the days that are best to turkey hunt. And also when you don't have the windy conditions. So if you are in a situation where you can get off on days that you can see a clear blue bird sky with low winds, I think that's the best time to mm-hmm. hunt. However, if you are stuck hunting in a situation that conditions are not favorable, let's say very windy conditions and or if it's rainy or misty rain and those misty rain conditions start looking for turkeys in fields, they're going to move out into the open where they can see better. If it's real windy, look for depressions. They're going to get down in the hollers because uh, they want to get out of that wind. Other mm-hmm. than maybe if you're in that North and South Dakota, every turkey I believe could just, could be a hang glider because it, it, the wind can blow a lot out there. But still, even yeah. in those situations, if you find low areas, that's where turkeys like to go into those bottoms or, or lower areas. Mm-hmm. But my perfect condition is just a cold, crisp, bluebird day on a, on a high pressure or steady pressure day. I think that's the best goblin and turkeys seem to work better. And it's more fun to be out there on those days. Way more enjoyable. Way better than cold, rainy, and 34 degrees, right? It, exactly. There's no, <laughs> there's no need to kind of flex up and have to be macho man hunting turkeys you can find those preferable days and i noticed too that's the days that i always like to take new turkey hunters as well as uh as well as my wife or you know a kid because they really enjoy it and, it, and even if the turkeys ain't working it's a good day we can go kick up plow ground look for arrowheads and i don't know it's just it's just a, a, a fun day to be out there when it feels good and mm-hmm. starts off kind of cool and it warms up throughout the morning it's just a good fun to be out in the spring woods that day absolutely all right so there's kind of a, a theme going on here on these questions, Mike. Uh, we've got calling, decoy set up, how long to sit. So let's kind of attack some of these all kind of together. You know, so for the, let's go with decoys first. So decoy spread, how does that differ from day one of the season to the end of the season? You know, and we got to use it kind of a generalized term of somebody's walking in maybe a couple hundred yards, maybe max a half mile to their setup, you know, setting up, what should they be bringing? How many decoys should they bring in? And then at that same time, how long do they need to be sitting? I know that's a double-edged sword because scouting comes into play, right? But we're going to assume that scouting's been taken care of and they've seen some birds in the area. But decoy spread and how long should they be sitting? Well, for for me, um, I've definitely, after just years and years of turkey hunting and understanding a lot more about their language and and understanding that there are different, you know, where you got mature turkeys. Let's just call it um, a long-beard turkey, which could be a two-year-old and beyond. And even a Jake, every year can change as uh, far as the, the culture of that flock, meaning the dominance and the pecking order. So on a year where you have an unbelievable record um, hatch of, of young turkeys where you got a lot of Jakes, 
And let's just say you got one of those years where you got five or 10 Jakes running in these big bully groups mm -hmm. that can make turkey hunting really tough that year. Because even though you got old turkeys, these Jakes will definitely bully your other turkeys around. So, however, with that said, if you watch that, it will let you know that the best decoy to have is no doubt a gobbler decoy. Mm -hmm. You know, I prefer just a quarter strut uh, Jake decoy. I very rarely bring any hen decoys because I become the hen and I want that turkey to typically find me. Mm -hmm. So I either use Jake decoys or gobbler decoys or no decoys at all. So I have found that unless you're in a very, very open terrain, um, you know, decoys can, can not necessarily help you in every case. Mm -hmm. So with that said, that, that, you know, Turkey 101 would be to use a Jake decoy, especially in, a, in an open area, set that decoy up, and obviously start calling and that in the trick would be if once that turkey gets within that 100 150 yard range and he can see he heard the sound he's coming to the call he visibly sees that jake well he knows the hen's there he hears that he wants to breed so so here's your opportunity if this turkey has any type of manliness to them if that's a term i can use in 2021 if he has any kind of get up and go obviously he has sex drive because he wouldn't be answering the call and coming searching for this hen potentially to to breed her if he sees that gobbler decoy there's one or two things going to happen he's either going to start gobbling and circling and getting very nervous or he's going to immediately see it and i mean it's on and he's coming as fast as a turkey can come and you're going to kill him quick so it's a great tool to use with kids it's a great use a tool a tool to use when you're in a blind mm -hmm. now if your hunting areas is thicker Here's something that I do that's very unorthodox that, that I, I use all the time and, and it's so deadly that it's ridiculous is I will not use any decoy, but I will tote a decoy. I will have a decoy, a half strut, you know, like, like a lot of the turkeys, you know, decoys is used to reap turkeys or to, you know, sneak on turkeys, however you want to call it or fan mm -hmm. them, whatever, or a fan. I will set up and I will do everything in my ability to old school to yep this turkey right to the gun barrel. I just like that vibe of that. Personally, that's a good feeling. Turkey's coming in. You got to depend on your camouflage. You're trying to entice this with your sexiest hen yelps. He's coming in. He's looking. This turkey is looking for a hen. So, therefore, you're sitting still. You're trusting on your camo. And you're trying to shut up at the right times and draw them in. So, if he will come that way, I will never even gamble with the fact that if I got a decoy sitting out there, because here's the biggest misconception with decoys. People will say, well, this turkey didn't like my decoy, or this turkey is decoy shy, or this turkey knew that that was a foam decoy or it was fake, and I don't like that brand of decoys because turkeys run from it. Turkeys, again, are not that smart. They have either been spurred upside the head or they are getting it all. So the ones that's getting it all are the easiest to kill. When they mm -hmm. come in and see a hen or a gobbler, they have confidence and they strut right in there. And usually that's the ones you take home and you're calling your wife or you're calling your dad, you know, before school and saying, dude, he come tort my decoy and it was on, or he come in and jumped on the hen. Now, the reason I use a gobbler decoy a, a lot more than I do a hen, a lot of times a turkey will come in and people say, well, he didn't really like my decoy. He stayed out from it. So if you're going to use just a hen decoy, put your hen decoy very close, 10 yards most. Because a lot of times, if you'll pay attention to gobbler strut with hens in the field, they're not right up on them. They don't come nope. right up on them. They'll stay 20, 30 yards, and they're displaying. 
It's just kind of like us when back in when we were kids mm-hmm. at the mall, sitting out at the arcade, kicked back with our new Air Jordans on, like, what's up, what's up? We're not walking close to them or right up on them when they're playing Pac-Man. We're sitting back waving and flexed all up and waving and being cool. So these gobblers do the same thing. So what I do with no decoy, now I'm not, and I'm eliminating this turkey that's been spurred. I'm also eliminating the turkey that's dominant that could be tricky to you kill without a decoy. And he might see something and he don't see what he wants. And he's like, I'm not wasting my time. I mean, this hen ain't showed herself. I'm back over the ridge. At that point, I literally will take a decoy and I'll, when he goes behind the tree, I will pick it up and I will show it to him and I can twist it. I can manipulate him. I got my real tree on. I got all this stuff happen so many times, Katie bar the door. But a, but a lot of times a turkey that's subdominant, he's gobbling. And I promise you some of your listeners and viewers are seeing this. I have a turkey working. He's gobbling his brains out. He's coming. He, you call the first time. And from the time he sat down 10 minutes later, you can almost see him. All of a sudden he walks out. You got a hen and a Jake decoy out there. This turkey's gobbling. He comes in strutting. He sees the decoy spread and he's, or he gets uncomfortable and starts circling and he walks off. You're like, dude, this Mm -hmm. dude freaking hates Primo's decoys. Had nothing to do with the decoys. Had everything to do with this turkey walked up and he said, oh my God, daddy's home. Mm -hmm. What am I thinking? I believe that's the same joker that run a spur up my butt and whooped me. I'm leaving. So eliminate that guesswork. Mm-hmm. that same turkey you will know when you go home i could have killed him without a decoy well then the time you don't put it out a decoy guess what happens he gobbles he gobbles he gets in there about 60 70 yards he's through some thick pines or through some sweet gums he will not come in and you're thinking god if i had just stuck the decoy out he would have seen it and he would have come on in well that's when you can show it to him again that falls into that category of well that's dangerous or man that's reaping a turkey that ain't hunting well, tell me the difference. All that is is a better mindset of showing mm-hmm. a turkey what he wants, and it eliminates certain things. Because being successful in hunting is about a process of elimination, no different than fixing an air conditioner or fixing your car. And so I've learned that that process of elimination with decoys is just that. So, yes, if you want to ask me personally in my long answer again, if I got one decoy to tote, it's a half-strut Jake decoy. I sunk, but I very rarely stick it out when I'm working a turkey. I use it, and I show it to him. The only time I stick that decoy out is when I'm hunting Merriam's or Rio's. But if I'm hunting Eastern turkeys that are hard-headed, that have an intense, tense social structure of beating the fire out of each other, then that's the only time I use that. And to reemphasize biologically why that is that why I do it that way, well, all you got to do, if you've had any success with any type of Jake decoy, you think about the hunts that you've seen those turkeys run in maybe two two-year-olds or a group of five jakes and come in and beat the living tar out of your decoy. Imagine living in that world. Mm-hmm. Imagine living in that world that you're a turkey that's walking around that's gotten beat up every time that he sees another turkey. He's not decoy shy. He's <laughs> turkey shy. Yep. He's terrified. He really just wants to go hide, but he's got this inner being that says, wait a minute, I, I want to breed a hen. So I'm going to I don't know why I gobbled. I don't, I'm not going to go close to these turkeys. Oh, my gosh. He comes and he wants to just kind of look over the ridge. He just wants to see what's happening. I don't want to be in the party. I just want to hear it and let them know I'm over here. Maybe they'll accept me. But he walks in and he sees, oh, my God, I, and I'm out. 
Mm -hmm. He's gone. He, he's trying to find a place to hide. So to kill those subordinate turkeys are the hardest turkeys to kill. Everybody thinks that those turkeys that do that are the big long spur turkeys. 90% of the time, they're the two-year-olds. Or maybe they are an older turkey that just don't have the social structure. They're definitely not, you know, they're not, they're not Bruce Willis off Die Hard. And so that's a long answer. But turkeys are very deep in their psyche. They're very deep in their pecking order. And you just got to realize that when you put these decoys out. It's not like a duck. A duck is looking for movement. They're looking mm -hmm. for social structure. They're looking for other things. Their safety in numbers. A turkey is an outsider. You're an outsider. And so that's why these turkeys who see or hear a call that's an outside sound, they're curious, they're mm -hmm. excited, and then they see a turkey that is not of their uh, social structure, those dominant turkeys are coming immediately and they're the easy ones to kill. So a lot of those turkeys that beat up your decoys, you go look next time you kill them, they'll be your big ones. They'll be some big long spur turkeys. And you think, my God, to be an old turkey, that was the easiest turkey I ever shot. So sometimes the long spurred dominant turkeys without a hen or in a situation he's got hens, you can take a Jake decoy, you know, that, that dominance factor and you can flip his switch and you mm -hmm. can completely take the bully that he has within him and manipulate him into your uh, frying pan and, and put him back in Lake Crisco uh, and eat him with some bread, <laughs> bread, bread and cold beer. <laughs> yep, those are the fun turkeys. All right, so going down to uh, turkey calls, what kind of turkey yeah. calls do you like to use? I, I love all turkey calls. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a collector. I've got, like, every kind of turkey call you ever name. I, I love to collect cool custom box calls and, and, and pot calls. But overall, I do like the, the benefits of a mouth diaphragm just because it's hands-free. Um, obviously, you know, being a competitor and, and calling the contest, you know, I'm always trying to master it even better and get different cuts and styles. I mean, you, you can pretty much buy a small farm in Kentucky by the time you buy all the diaphragms until you get to the one you really like. Mm -hmm. And then you go buy that same one. It's not just the same. And so you keep buying more. You buy all the brands. And so I love the mouth calls. I, I just think they're really fun to, obviously, uh, you know, some wives who use them to drive their husband crazy practicing. And some husbands obviously drive their wives crazy or kids drive their moms and dads crazy trying to master them like a duck, but not quite as loud as a duck call. But the most realistic tone that you can get with ease of a turkey is a good solid box call. Mm -hmm. And I'll, a lot of times, if you want to say buy one good turkey call, buy you a really good high-end box call, buy you something that you can invest the money. It's kind of like Slash playing Sweet Child of Mine. He didn't buy a cheap guitar. He went ahead and bought him a good Les Paul mm -hmm. with humbuckers. He put him some GSH boomer strings on it. And when he rips, you know, he means business. So, invest if you're going to buy a friction call invest in a good solid you know good call that sounds very realistic and just the weight of that lid you can master good mm -hmm. hen yelps you can master good clucks and cutting and yelping and then once you master that particular box call use that box call as your tuning fork to practice your mouth calls and then once you're like yuck, 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 you got that sound and it off that box call then try to make your mouth call sound just like your box call and you're going to be deadly mm-hmm very good. So, toughest subspecies that you've hunted? Uh, Still Eastern? No doubt Easterns. No doubt Easterns. Not all Easterns. Um, I've been to Tennessee when they was in that turkey boom, and we were killing, man, I wonder if there were some country artists, and we killed six turkeys one day in one day. It, it, it was just crazy. And, um, and they were Eastern turkeys, and they were working and coming. But overall, I think 
the Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, probably Mississippi into Louisiana. I would think, you know, even Arkansas and some areas. I don't know what it is. I, you know, a lot of times it could be hunting pressure, but I don't even think it's hunting pressure. I think it's the habitat, um, the, the way the land rolls, the, the situations, all the barriers that you're trying to call them through from barbed wire fences to creek bottoms to, to just storm damage. I, there's something about a southern eastern that I definitely think is the toughest turkey to kill. And like in Georgia, for instance, this year, prime example, our turkey numbers are down. So if you hear one, maybe two turkeys gobbling hard, I mean, you, you, you've got a good opportunity. That's a good day of hunting. So if you mess those two turkeys up, that's the two gobblers that's gobbling on your place. That's it. That's all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you hear none and turkeys will move off your place. So I just think overall the habitat and situation in the South makes the Southern Eastern the toughest species. That's my opinion. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with that. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, all right. So we got some questions coming in too about, you know, not necessarily land management, but hey, we've got 40 acres we can hunt. We got 20 acres we can hunt, or we got, you know, 640, whatever it might be. What, what's your game plan when you're going into some of these smaller por parcels of properties? You know, obviously they've, they've, they know they got birds there. Uh, depending on the time you even just kind of talked about it, do, birds do migrate, you know, you got the winter roost and they're kind of moving around, they breed that area and start searching, you know, kind of start bird dogging out there for more hens. But what, what's your game plan when you go hunt those smaller parcels? Um, that definitely can be a huge challenge all across the country because turkeys definitely have a pattern of where they go. You know, you, I hear people all the time that, that I have deer hunting leases. I'm talking about from North to the South and mm -hmm. say, Man, I can't wait for turkey season. I got turkeys all over my place, man. I got 70 freaking gobblers, you know, especially when you get up north in Merriam country. Like, I got 70 turkeys up here, man, every day. You know, they're out here in my, in my theater. They're out here in my wheat field, my oak field. And then all of a sudden, and same thing in the south, people be deer hunting. It's like, dude, we got turkeys everywhere. I mean, it might be 10 acres. Like, dude, I'm seeing seven longbears every day. I can't wait for turkey season. Well, then come March, April. Like, dude, I can't hear a turkey. There ain't no tracks. There's nothing. So those turkeys definitely winter somewhere, mm -hmm. and then they spend their spring. They have brooding areas. They have nesting areas. Some of those mature hens have areas they like to nest every year. So the only way you can change any of that is, one, is pray for good hatches, that you multiply turkeys in your area, and, and to take that area that you have, you know, either own or have permission, whether it's 1040 or 640, and go ahead and try to make an extensive plan to develop it the best of your ability for turkey. Um, where legal, if you're in states that you can legally feed turkeys, definitely start feeding them. It's not illegal to even feed turkeys in most states, even where it's illegal to hunt over bait. That bait just has to be completely gone, typically, by rule, 10 to 15 days prior to hunting them. So by rule, you're not really trying to feed turkeys to kill turkeys you're trying to feed turkeys to create a habit in those turkeys mm -hmm. it's kind of like you and i getting up if it's a pop tart that we eat every morning and maybe we make a pot of coffee well if the coffee's gone and the pop tarts are gone because we failed to restock our half action is to walk in and to go start a pot of coffee and to go to the cupboard and get a pop tart so we create this subconscious habit mm -hmm. so if i'm in an area where i've got a small track of land maybe December, January before March season, I'll start feeding pretty heavy mm -hmm. to get turkeys used to scratching in there. So it's just like a lot of things. It's kind of like feeding a chicken. You can take oat straw or hay straw or wheat straw and put in your chicken coop. Not a lot of food there. 
but you watch, you immediately start them scratching. And all of a sudden, they'll just keep scratching. They create this habit of scratching. Then you can throw a little scratch feed down. They keep scratching. They come feed and feed. So I think turkeys are very habit-oriented. So that's one um, very simple way if you don't have a lot of money to spend. The other is if you can mow down food plots to create habit that this habitat that's really good for those turkeys to come to, or vice versa, it starts getting into those nesting time of years, late April or into May, you might want to let those food plots or green fields grow up so hens will be drawn to nest in those areas, therefore to bring gobblers in. Mm-hmm. Um, another good natural way to bring turkeys to your property is, is to plant chufa, which chufa is a legal um, substance you can plant. It's this nut type of grass that turkeys absolutely love better than anything that they could find. And so in the South, that's a good tactic is to take and plant in say May or June chufa. And then that chufa matures and it, and the first frost will kill it. And then that nuts, those nuts are in the grass. You can plow one strip in it. And once turkeys find it, you can't run them off. So if you neighbor in a place that's got a lot of good turkey population, you can actually steal a few turkeys over on that smaller track by planting the chufa field. The problem with that chufa is not very inexpensive. It costs probably 60 to $100 for a 50 pound bag. And so then you got to fertilize it and you got to plant it and have a tractor. So there's a lot of different ways, but the best thing you can do is to try to create the best turkey sanctuary on that property. And you can go to nwtf.org and mm-hmm. it will tell you some good opportunity what you can do. And, um, and you can kind of develop it. Outside of that, all you can do is just pray that turkeys will be there on the mornings you hunt. That's really about it. Yeah. Well, the nice thing, too, about those habitat improvements is just not for turkey. I mean, there's so many other species of Correct. animals that, that benefit from that as well, just like deer. And, you know, if you're doing upland restoration or waterfowl restoration, I mean, it's all kind of a, you know, there's not a much habitat anymore. So any habitat is good habitat. And there's something to be said that that old, you know, field of dreams, build it and they will come is actually the truth in wildlife. If yep. you build it and you have, you know, the problem we got, and I know especially with everything that's been on this past year or two, you know, money's tight. You know, uh, you know, people are looking and being able to utilize stimulus checks. They're looking and dipping into their savings. I mean, there's some people that's obviously through this pandemic, I mean, that are thriving based on the circumstances that could be out there. But, but overall, any money that you put into your hunting property or leases, it does benefit the wildlife, and therefore, if it benefits them and attracts them in, it's going to benefit you. Mm-hmm. I, the only negative to it, to really maintain and to establish some of the best habitat, it does take some money. It takes some time. It takes the right equipment. So a lot of times, if you can attack it with your buddies, make it something fun. And like I said, if you don't have the right equipment, you can use manual equipment. It just takes a little more time. But there's no doubt, habitat's everything. If you got the right habitat, you're going to have turkeys, and that's exactly what's happening here. There was a tract of land that joined me. A uh, gentleman bought uh, eight or 900 acres. It was a substantial piece of property. He was all excited about the turkey hunting. I said, I said man, I hate to tell you, there ain't a lot of turkeys over there right now. And he's like, why? You got turkeys. I said, I'm just telling you, the habitat ain't that good. So he has went in. He's burned this property. It's not near as thick. I've been over there with him and helped him establish some food plots. He, he bought them up. Now, granted, the guy is, is is pretty solid, financially secure, so he's bought a skid steer. He's got a mm-hmm. mulching head. He has cleaned up more habitat. Just tonight, he sent me three turkeys strutting in a field that he had never even seen a turkey. So, no doubt his habitat's better. And and only sad thing, I think he's stealing them from me now. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, his habitat's better, and he's got, he's got turkeys now. So, 
yep. and that's only going to get a be- it's only going to get better. He's going to his third year of owning this place, so it yep. does make a difference. Everybody's going to help because of that or benefit from that. All the neighbors. All right, favorite turkey load. What gauge you shooting and what do you like to dude, shoot? Dude, I, I shoot I shoot a lot of Hornady. All my shotgun stuff is is Hornady. I mean, I mean, all my shot, all my ammunition. I shoot Hornady, man. I love all their stuff. But I have checked that new TSS, dude. It's 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 money, man. Holy cow! It's 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 pretty pretty amazing. Um, if I don't have any TSS, I like six shot. I like six shot the best. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the turkeys we shoot are pretty close. Um, we love the Carlson choke tubes. We actually develop a new Carlson choke tube, a bone collector model. So I do like the extended chokes. And if I'm going to shoot copper or anything like that, I do like the six shot. Mm-hmm. But that TSS has changed the game. You can get that oh, yeah. nine shot or, or seven and nines. It's deadly. I mean, it's it's almost cheating because some of these turkeys, 60, 70 yards that hung up before that you had to kind of figure out a tactic to get them another 10, 15 yards closer. You can let a rip tater chip, and I'm telling you, <laughs> it, it knocks them flat. So yep. it, it, every, every year it seems like we get more innovation in those shot shells. That's incredible. Now, are you still shooting 12-gauge mainly? I mainly shoot 12 gauge. I don't, I don't know. I, for me, I've got a couple of shotguns that are really sentimental. So it's almost like taking my favorite lab, you know, duck hunting. It's almost like I got a shotgun named Grady and I just take Grady with me all I can. We, we, uh, you know, I, I, we're, we're not exclusive with any shotgun company. And so I, I love, I love shotguns. I got more shotguns than any guns. And, um, so I mainly turkey hunt with a 12 gauge and, uh, I don't know. It's something nostalgic about it. I just like that big gun and big boom, man. I like it. I don't think it's necessary. I think a 20 gauge right now, especially with that TSS, is plenty sufficient. Mm-hmm. It's moving fast, and you can still kill a turkey 50 yards easy. And uh, so that, but but I still, I mostly tote a 12 gauge. Yep. And, but I will say, I do prefer the three inch shells over three and a half inch shells. I just, I like those better. Seem to always pattern better. And I think the shot's moving faster out of those three-inch shells. It doesn't hurt as much either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to go to the chiropractor after shooting the turkey. <laughs> That's right. All right, so we've got some uh, some new hunters tuning in here as well. Um, what are some of the basics that a person, you know, that maybe has a background in hunting or is just getting into hunting but wants to start doing the springtime, you know, the the chaos of turkey? What, what, what do you recommend? Well, main thing I recommend your first year, man, just be a sponge and soak it all in. Try to go to areas that you can hear turkeys and and learn to become a woodsman first, not a turkey hunter, but a woodsman. Um, download you a good digital mapping source like a base maps. That's a great example. Uh, download that. Now to tell you all the property lines, it'll give you a good idea of terrains and creek bottoms, a lot of times fence lines. And just soak it all in because turkey hunting can be very intimidating if you're just getting into it because I, it, it takes a lot of discipline, but it takes a lot of knowledge to understand this this language, this dialect, in these moves, and to get deep into uh, what these turkeys are thinking, what they're doing, from the hens to the gobblers, the subordinate gobblers to the dominant turkeys. But what I would recommend to anybody is find you one good call and master that call. Just master yelping, clucks, and cutting. Don't try to worry about all these other thousands of calls that are out there from the kiki runs to the purrs and all that stuff. Don't worry about that. Take you a good pot call like a Slater glass or a box call and master that. And if you're intrigued with the mouth call, 
like I said earlier in the talk, get that, that box call and use that as a tuning fork to your mouth call and find confidence in at least one of those calls to where you feel so secure with it that you use it with security. And what I mean by that, use that call with security because just like we're talking, if somebody's talking very insecure, you don't believe them. Mm -hmm. You don't believe them. You think they're lying or trying to pull one over on you. But if you talk with authority and you talk with confidence, whether people believe you or not, they have to respect that. I do believe turkeys are that way. So, so basically go by the turkey steps 101, you know, find you a good locator call, a, a, you know, a good, a good owl hoot or a crow call, locate the turkey, enjoy that, figure out the ways of the woods with this base map and figure out what the turkey did this day, what he did that day. If you don't want to come to the call, figure out where they're drifting to and where those hens may be taking them. And then when you apply all that stuff and you soak it all in, you're going to soon realize that you'll become feeling like a Navy SEAL or a special ops guy because you're getting intel every time and you're learning how to manipulate. You're learning how to learn this language. You're learning how to become part of this flock. And the closer you can get to this flock is your chances of filling this tag. So take it all in and don't let anybody tell you how you got to do it. Mm -hmm. Learn your ways that you enjoy it and learn your way that you want to kill those turkeys. And, and when you learn all this stuff and you dive into whether it's YouTube or you know, my outdoor TV or carbon TV or watch outdoor channel, you'll start picking up tips and tactics that you can apply to your area. And that's when it becomes fun. And don't be discouraged if you don't get a turkey the first two or three or four or five times. I killed my first turkey the first time I went turkey hunting with my dad and I knew nothing about it. I was 14 years of age. I killed my next turkey and I never missed a day that I had a chance. I almost flunked out of high school <laughs> when I was 16. So two years later, I killed another one. And I don't know how many times I hunted and I was so discouraged and so aggravated, but I kept just kind of pounding it. And then I started killing a few turkeys. And the next thing you know, I felt like I was going to kill a turkey every time I went, whether it was public or private. And I still feel that way now. And so now it's still my favorite thing to hunt. So once again, Owadi's long answer to, <laughs> to a simple question, but soak it in and enjoy it. And I promise you, I promise you, whoever asked that question, if you see me somewhere down the road, I guarantee you'll hug my neck and say, thank you for encouraging me to go turkey hunt because it's the funnest hunt you'll ever do. Yep. And even finding a mentor too, you know. Yes. Yes. Find somebody find that can kind of Find somebody local. You. Yeah. That find, I, think, I think definitely find you somebody local that, 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 that knows the ropes, that's a veteran, and learn some basics from him and then, then learn to apply some of your own thought process, process uh, and, and, and be ready to innovate when you get good at it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's been fun. Some of my biggest turkey heroes, the, the Paul Buttskies, the Joe Drakes, the Eddie Salters, Harold and David, I had a chance to hunt with all those guys, and they taught me so much. And now I've had a chance to go back and add some things to my own personal arsenal that I've had the privilege to go back and say, Eddie, did you know that this would work? No, that won't work. Like, Let me show you something. Yep. That's when it becomes fun because then you can become somebody that reinvents the wheel, and, 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 and I enjoy that part of it. And, and nothing, nothing is you know, just set in stone how things have got to be. If that was the case, we'd never break the, you know, 40-yard dash record. Somebody's got, they've been running since the turn of time. I mean, ancient Greece, they was racing and timing how fast, and we're breaking records. So somebody's running different. Somebody's running better ear to pocket. Are they running on their toes? Are they running like Michael Johnson? Are they leaning back? Leaning? I don't know. Somebody's going to break the record. Mm -hmm. Break it again. It's been, I mean, since, 
Jesus Christ, they have been timing how fast you can run 40, and it's different, and it's different techniques. I think turkey hunting will be the same way. Yep. And turkeys are so vocal. I mean, they, yes, they make it fun. Cool. They make it exciting. All right, so I'm getting yelled at here. Um, we need to get closer to the, the prize package winning, but one last question. This is going to be tough because you have five minutes, Mike. Five minutes to answer this. But what is your fondest, funniest, you know, not maybe the most memorable, but the funniest turkey hunt you've been on that you're just like, oh, man, this is, no one's going to believe this? Dude, I've had so many of those um, that, that it's actually been – it's actually been crazy. And, and I, and, and one story that just every time I turkey hunt, I've already had a couple things this year that's blown, blown my mind, turkey hunting. Um, that that's never happened before. Um, but this hunt I'm about to go on tomorrow, for instance, is, is a hunt that we're raising some money for some scholarship programs for the youth. Um, and, and, and it's with the university, it's with the university of Montevallo. So two years ago, uh, these gentlemen bought a hunt and actually one lady and two guys bought these hunts. They got one day with me, one day with Eddie Salter and one day with Bob Walker, who's a world champion turkey caller. And, and so it was kind of a cool deal. It was a philanthropy type of thing. We gave our time. They gave their finance to come spend days and tell stories. And I'm leaving after this podcast or this talk here, this Facebook live, I'm going to, uh, to do that hunt in the morning for the next two or three days. So anyway, one of the guys, it was down to the last morning, and my wife had said, look, I need you home by, you know, 2 o'clock because we got some plans. And so I said, that would be great. I'll be there. So I told the guy who bought the hunt, and I said, look, if you don't mind, I know you got all day, but let's try to get a turkey early. And I said, I really need to get home to my wife and family by 2 o'clock. And he said, dude, family first. You know, uh, I understand what else. So, so we hunt. We heard some turkeys off the roost. We are two different turkeys off our roost. We're in Alabama, jerk turkeys aggravating Later that day, I heard a turkey gobble way, way in an area that I wasn't even sure we could hunt. And I told the particular guy who had some land leased, I said, is this particular turkey, is he on our land where he gobbled? And I pull up my base maps and I'm showing. He said, yeah, that, that turkey's on us. He's in the edge of that pasture. There's some pines up there and he's telling me the train. So I look at my clock. It's 1130. I got another 20 minutes to try and I need to load up in 10, 30 minutes to leave. So I figure 20 minutes, one more quick last hoorah get aggressive, kill this turkey, scare him, and I got to get home to my wife. I take a, a golf cart. At the time, it was this old Textron, you know, bad boy buggy. I took my strut decoy, and I got it on a stick, and I stick it in my front rack on the bad boy buggy. And I'm hauling butt to this area I think that I think these turkeys are, and I'm hoping they're still around. I stop short, and I mean, I call, I shower down, nothing. I stop a little short of where I thought they were, and I shower down. As I look on my map, I notice I'm getting ready to come into this cattle pasture where I, exactly where I thought these turkeys were. And, and a lot of times, these turkeys don't go as far as you think. They make these little semi-loops, mm -hmm. and then they might move a mile or two in two days, but that day, they might not move that far. So in my mind, my heart of hearts, I'm thinking, these turkeys ain't far. They're probably hinned up. So I'm easing through this little logging road, and all of a sudden, the nose of my golf cart comes out in the edge of the field, and sure enough, I said, oh, my God, there they are. I'm expecting them to run off. The sun is right on the golf cart. I broke through these little pines and sweet gum trees and this thick little road, little two-track four-wheel path through the road. All of a sudden, the turkeys look, <laughs> and they go up in full strut. I'm like, what in the world? About that time, simultaneously, the wind blows, and it shifts my decoy on the golf cart. 
those turkeys break and run across this field. And I tell the guy who bought the hunt, I said, make sure your gun's loaded, ease around behind me, and when these turkeys get close to this golf cart, you freaking kill them. <laughs> they had an outdoor scholar in the media relations department videoing. I said, hey, turn around, start videoing this. Two longbeards run up there, and this guy shoots one 15 yards with, with four grown men sitting in a golf cart, no head net. We're in camouflage, but in a black golf cart with a gobbler decoy stuck to the front of it just for storage. I didn't put them there trying to do that. I put them there. I put this decoy there completely to just keep it easy to store. So my point is, it gets back. We laughed. The guy couldn't believe it. He bought this hunt to see, you know, whatever. Michael Waddell, the turkey man. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, that's how you do it. That's how I kill all my turkeys. And we laughed all the way home. And he has told that story. And he's called me since then. And and, and so it just get, goes to show you, sometimes you can overthink everything. And I, I, I've got 70 stories that I can oh, tell. Yeah. But we're limited to one. But it was crazy. And uh, so, anyway, keep an open mind. And remember, when you're turkey hunting, you're battling a bird that gets one time a year to breed. His size of his brain is about the size of a 50-cent piece. And he, he's hungry, and he's sexually frustrated. Smartest, Figure dumbest bird. Take advantage of that. He doesn't have a human IQ. He's just trying to avoid bobcats and coyotes, and he's trying to live, and he's trying to live through his other turkey that's trying to kill him because he wants to breed. Mm -hmm. So don't, let, don't overthink it. You can outsmart them a lot easier than they can outsmart you if you'll just think simple. So think simple. Think very common sense and very simple, and and I think you got a better chance of manipulating one into range. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That's a great story. Um, I think of turkeys very similar to some of the the prairie grouse. I'm a big bird hunter, and uh, smartest dumbest birds. Like they're just they're so smart, 100%. but they're the dumbest That's what things a in the world. Is. Smartest yep. dumbest birds. That's yep. exactly right. All right. With so, all respect to them. With absolutely. Absolutely love them. Love them. Absolutely love them. All right. So we do have a winner provided here. Uh, the winner's going to receive nearly $2,000 in gear. They've got a Hoyt Venom 30 bone collector bow. Hopefully, yes. maybe even potentially signed by Mr. Waddell himself. Uh, complete clothing package from Element Outdoors and a bunch of other gear, too. So the winner is Charlie M. of Rippy, Iowa. I think that's Rippy. R I P P E Y. Right. So, Mr. Charlie, congratulations. We've got a Michael Waddell prize package here coming. We're very excited for that. Uh, we want to appreciate everybody that's uh, tuned in this evening. There is going to be a bonus round uh, that Mr. Michael Waddell and our social media guy, Mike Anderson, are going to kind of help answer a bunch of questions. We have pages and pages of questions. So we're going to do our best to get everybody's questions answered, make sure Mike can get a, Michael can get out of here at a decent time tonight since he does have a drive ahead of him and he's got to get up early. Uh, please make sure you guys are registering. We've got another event going on tomorrow night. You can sign up at shields.com slash hunt series. And we're very excited for everybody. Uh, tomorrow night we got Vincent Hancock, who is a skeet shooting champion, uh, very well-renowned person, and uh, definitely look forward to hearing that because obviously we can always be a better shot. I mean, it's one of those things that we did not talk about this evening about shooting your turkeys and practicing, you know, and shooting pop cans or targets or whatever it might be, but please make sure you are practicing before you go out to make ethical shots. And uh, with that, we just want to thank everybody for coming. Michael, thank you for devoting your time this evening. We're very, very honored to have you on on the podcast here in the virtual series. So thank you, everyone, and we'll see you tomorrow night. You just heard our night two coverage of the Shields Spring Virtual Hunt Series featuring Michael Waddell. 
He answered a ton of questions from the audience, but we didn't get to all of them. But we have the rest of those questions and answers from Michael Waddell in the bonus coverage, which is next in the playlist on the Shields Outdoors podcast. Make sure to check that out. And if you like these virtual segments and are interested in fishing, make sure to check out our virtual fish series that's happening April 13th through the 15th. You're going to have the opportunity to ask questions on bass fishing, fly fishing, and walleye fishing. Register for that one at shields.com forward slash fish series. If you like what you heard today, make sure to give us a follow on the listening platform you chose today and make sure to check out Shields Outdoors, Facebook and Instagram for additional content that's given on a daily basis. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.